Good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Great to be together. And uh, super exciting to see a lot of new faces, uh, people, old friends coming back and uh, rejoining us after a crazy COVID year and our parking lot starting to fill up. I'm going to increasingly park further away. That's where the staff parking is, the furthest away. We're going to go further. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. And uh, so glad you're here. You look great today. And it's so great. Uh, to be together in person here, but also want to welcome uh, those of you watching our live stream now. So glad we have that opportunity also, and uh, whether you're on vacation or you're just being cautious, we respect that. We're glad you're with us, hanging out with us too, and on YouTube later on as well, a, a significant group watching us on YouTube. So we got three different options for the church, and uh, one church, three different places, and uh, honoring God and praising Him. Uh, each step of the way. And uh, this is an exciting uh, time. Uh, we've announced now that we have our grand opening coming up. And we'd say, well, we're meeting together, we're doing that. And that's true. But we just haven't been able to get that to that moment uh, that we had hoped to with a grand opening in this new facility. And so we've pushed it to October, October 10th. And I hope you'll get that on your calendar. I'll work that out so you can come and join us. And we want to have this moment where we, we come together, where we're comfortable, where we feel safe to do that. Also, a moment for you to invite your friends and family uh, to what God's doing here. And also to look forward to the future because we've had a great first chapter here. We're going to be talking about that in this, in, at this grand opening. But we've had a, a great start here. But uh, the best is yet to come for us as we look to the future as we move forward and really, really excited to take that journey uh, with you. So October 10th, we've got the grand opening. And then also we want to pair that with a service Saturday as we uh, saw in the announcements too. Mark that day as well because we really do want to be a church that doesn't just gather, uh, have some energy, spend some time in worship. That's so important, and it's, you know, God has something to say to us on a regular basis, but we also want to be a church that goes outside the four walls uh, of this building to serve others, to reach out to others, to meet needs, to make somebody's day better, uh, to advance good and, and change lives. So, you can help us do that. We're going to have multiple things happening on our property here in terms of service. We're hoping to send teams out into our community to serve as well. We'll have a lot more detail uh, about that coming up, but uh, mark those dates. You, you might be thinking, man, that's far away, and you know it's not. It's not. Boom, it's going to be here, and uh, we'll be into the fall and really looking forward to it. Well, today we're continuing our series juicy fruit, and we've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit and how God works in us to mold us, to shape us, to help us to become the best version of ourselves and all that God wired us and created us to be. And we've seen that God has interest in developing us into a very particular kind of people, People who demonstrate particular attitudes, who demonstrate particular actions, and who live out and exemplify particular types of fruit. And that's what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, that there be some fruit that develops within us that would be evident in your life and mine, that as Christ followers, we would embody uh, a difference uh, to the world. And we read about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, the next fruit we're going to look at today is faithfulness. But before we do that, I want to back up and look a little bit at a very important role that the fruit of the Spirit plays in your life and in mine. That God designed this fruit to, to move us closer to him, to make us more like him, to shape us into the person God wants us to be. And, and we need to have that sense of what God wants us to be because there are powerful forces in this world right now that want to take us in an entirely different direction than God's intention for your life. There are powerful forces today that want to move us away from God, that want to kind of steal the joy and power that we could walk in, and, and that want to mold us into the image of, of those who've walked away from God or want nothing to do with him. These powerful forces want to kill our closeness with God, rob us of the intimacy that we could have. And this means that we have to be super alert at all times because you and I have this tendency to drift. That we have this tendency, we have, we're constantly tempted to, to drift off course on our spiritual journey. That there's a sense that you and I need subtle and not so subtle course corrections on a regular basis because these are the challenges that we face. We can get wayward very easily in our culture today and drift by a few degrees. I mean, think of it this way. Have you ever been in a situation where you were just flat out like lost? Like you were lost. Maybe it was in the pre-GPS age and you're like, uh, I, I got lost. I didn't know what was going on. And, or maybe you, you forgot your phone. You forgot your phone, and normally you could ask Siri, and she'd take you home. You say, take me home, and it's like, you got lost again, like it talks back to you or something, but you know, it's like, oh, take me home, and, and so it takes you home, but what if, what if you forgot your phone? Uh, what if you had the wrong address? Have you ever been lost? How about this? Have you ever been hiking? And you think you're going in a particular direction, like I'm, I'm going in this direction, but have you ever been hiking and then all of a sudden it's like you're going and then you're kind of going this way and then, I mean, you're like getting turned around and then, you, then you're off course and you think you're going the same way you once were, but you got off and, and maybe you're going this way or you're going this way or maybe you're going exactly the opposite way that you once were. It can it can happen to any one of us. And it's in those moments where we need more than anything else an objective guide, an objective signpost that says, actually, you're off course here. You know, this is the way to go. We need an objective measure to show us how to move forward. Well, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is God's compass for our lives to show us how to keep on course, how to stop the drift, 
how to make sure we're maintaining the, the direction and becoming the person that God wants us to be because we can very easily, every one of us can very easily listen to the wrong voices. They're speaking louder than ever and we can get off track. But staying on track is super hard work. Using the fruit of the Spirit as a compass is, is not easy. And that's why Paul says in verse 24, he says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Here Paul's describing some of these big powerful forces around us that, that want to basically pull us away from God. And, and these forces, these voices, they appeal to our desire first for control. That you and I like to control our lives, control our situations, control all the eventualities. We also see these forces appealing to, to our self-interested nature, that we have this sense of who we are and what we deserve and the agenda that we want to see carried out. But self-orientation is tricky. It tricks us because it often gives us the sense that, that our compass, well, it's God's compass and that we're on track heading towards him when in fact we could be way off and not even quite realize it. Self-interest, the fact that we are easily uh, people who self-advocate, uh, taints our minds and our emotions so that what we think is right sometimes is not. What this means for us as Christ followers is that we have a battle going on in our own lives, in our own minds, in our own spirits, that, that there's hard work that, that needs to happen because it says here in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus, they gotta crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. This putting down the sinful tendency, the self-advocacy, the put-me-first mentality that, that all of us have is, is tough. It's, it's challenging. It's hard work. No one in the culture encourages us to do this. Just Scripture, just the Holy Spirit within us. And so the battle, it rages. And I, I think sometimes this allowing the Holy Spirit to, to guide our lives and and to crucify this sinful nature is, is something that, that I equate to uh, the tenacity that, that we need to have in another way sometimes. I mean, I want you to think about something. I mean, have you ever been on a bad date? Have you ever been on a bad date? Like, you're like, this is, this is bad. This, is, this isn't working out at all. And so maybe a friend sets you up on a blind date and you go on this date. Or maybe you're online and you check out somebody's profile and you're like, I'm interested in that. I'm kind of interested in that person. And, and so you give this relationship a shot. So you go on this date, but it only takes you 15 minutes to realize that, wow, uh, this isn't working. This is, this is a 100% not working because, you know, maybe the person is really into themselves and the whole time you're, you're having dinner or coffee or ice cream, whatever you're doing, is like they're talking about themselves and they're pretty inattentive to you. And you're like, I don't think this is working. Or, or maybe they're weird and quirky in a, way that we, in a way that weird and quirky don't work for you, okay? Maybe it works for someone else, but this weird and quirkiness it isn't working for me. 
mean, have you been on a bad date? But there's something far worse than a bad date. And that's a bad date that doesn't take a hint. It's a, it's a bad date that doesn't take a hint. And it's like, you know this isn't working. And so uh, you basically, uh, you know, um, when they come back and say, let's get together and, and let's hang out. And you're like, uh, I'd like to, but I'm busy. Like busy for what? Like busy for like 2021, like the whole year, like every, every year, the whole year. 2022 might have been opening in 2023. I'll have to check. And they're like, well, no, uh, it doesn't work. They keep persisting and they don't give up and you ghost them and you're like, shut them out. Shut them out of social media, but they show up at work and you're like, oh my gosh, the guy, the, guy, the girl that just showed up at at work, it's not happening. And even when you take the direct approach and say, it's not working out, we're not, it's not, not going to be a thing. They don't get it. You see, what we see here is the desires of the sinful nature are like a bad date that don't take a hint. This doesn't take a hint. The sinful nature, the desires that we have within us, they persist. They keep coming at us. They keep coming forward. They keep wanting to occupy our minds and emotions and spirits. They keep wanting to take over. And that's why when Paul talks about we've got to crucify the sinful nature, we've got to stop it cold because it doesn't get better. Things get worse. And that's where this whole idea of doing hard work, allowing the fruits of the Spirit to be that compass that we use to assess our lives to reassess our direction, to kind of set the course for our future is super important because it helps us shut down self and embrace what God has designed us to be. It's a battle that's constantly raging. There's an ugly part within us that constantly wants to come out. But when we're looking at this compass of God's word and his spirit, we can stay on track and we can get to a far, far better place. I think what Paul is saying here is don't ex just accept Jesus and drop life change. No, life change follows accepting Jesus. The fruit of the Holy Spirit helps us understand how we're supposed to be different. It helps us understand how we're supposed to be different. This crucifying the old self, staying in step with the Holy Spirit is, is something God uses. And we read this list of attributes and say, how am I doing as a loving person? How am I doing as a joy-filled person? How am I doing as someone who walks in peace? How am I walking in patience? How am I, how am I doing in, in, with all these different areas? Am I progressing? Am I stalled out? Am I drifting away? And we need to do that on a regular basis because we need to allow God to do something that we kind of initially resist. We need to allow God to convict us. We need to allow God to shake us up a little bit, to say, listen, you've drifted. You're off four degrees. You're off of 15 degrees, kind of going the wrong way. You were once going the right way, but now you're going the opposite way. There's something about allowing the compass of, of the, the fruits of the Spirit to correct us and redirect us that is really huge because the truth is too often we think we're on the right path. 
We think God's compass is our compass, but it can easily become broken. And this idea of conviction isn't exactly popular, but one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that those who are closest to God, people I would, consi- I would say, man, these people really get it, are people who come to this moment and say, yeah, I, I, also, I also fall short. They're not the ones who want to give the impression that they're so pure and righteous and holy, and you're not. That's not what you see in people who are closest to God. They're the ones who are more clearly focused on their own sin. And instead of, you know, wanting to call everybody out for, every, for everything they're doing, they're the ones who are recognizing that I've got work to do. We even see that in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the one who experienced Jesus firsthand, personally on the road to Damascus, the apostle Paul who planted these churches, who gave his life and his strength and his best energy to to building people up in Christ, that, that Paul himself didn't see himself as some kind of spiritual superstar. Man, you're a superstar, Paul. You got it all going on. You got it all together. He didn't see himself that way. He actually called himself something amazing and strange. He said, I'm the chief of sinners. Like, I've fallen so far. I, I got so far to go. And it really turns out that those closest to Jesus are actually more aware of their sin not less. Those who draw closer to Jesus are actually more aware of how far they need to go. That Paul was so close to Jesus that as he moved closer to him, he saw with greater clarity the contrast between himself and this awesome, perfect son of God. And he wanted to grow. And he was committed to growing. And that's exactly what he did. It turns out that having a contrite, humble heart that allows God to do course corrections is actually a sign of spiritual maturity that we're actually getting things right. And that's one of the things I love about our church and our leaders, our staff, our teaching team. Even in the last few weeks, you've heard teaching from different people. You've heard John speak You've heard Greg speak. You've heard Marcus speak in the past. And one of the things I love about the team is to recognize that they would all say, listen, I'm here to teach God's word. And we believe this is his life changing. But I don't, I'm not perfect at this. I'm working at this. And I don't come as an example as someone who is, again, absolutely perfect. I am come as someone on a journey who cares a lot about this. And I'm working and I will continue to work to get it right. Because the truth is, we're, we're the chief of sinners. We've fallen. But God says you can grow. You can get better. You can be an example. And you can become all God desires you to be if you follow the compass of this fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so this becomes a big piece of how God works in our lives to mold us, to shape us, to help us to become the best version of ourselves and all God created us to be. And now we see faithfulness as a compass reading that God wants to build into your life and into mine. 
This is one of the fruits that God says is really important. But as we're going to see, it's extremely difficult to, to embrace it and embody it. Faithfulness here is defined this way. It's the quality of being dependable, loyal, and reliable in our relationships. It is sticking with somebody under pressure and having someone's back. It's being trustworthy and reliable. Faithfulness is always understood in the context of relationships. And there's two ways we can understand it. The first is this, that God has called you and me to be faithful in our relationship with God himself. We're called to be faithful in our relationship with God. This is one of the primary messages in the book of uh, Galatians. This is one of the primary things he wanted to speak to the Galatian Christians because there is this moment where he presents to them the gospel. And the gospel here, this faithfulness to, to God, is faithfulness to the gospel message that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. He's God in the flesh, that he came to this earth as Savior of the world, that he forgives us when we come to him and we can have eternal life because of our relationship with him, that he's a God of grace, that he's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's, the, he's this resurrected Son of God and Savior of the world. This is the gospel message, and yet there are going to be other gospels, other messages that come around and want to eliminate Jesus, uh, demote Jesus, and kind of move him out of the picture. And this was actually a very big problem in the Galatian church. And we read about this in Galatians 1, verse 6. It says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here we see teachers infiltrating the church, and what they're saying is that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. He's, he's all these things, but in order for you to have salvation, in order for you to know God personally, to have that personal connection with him, in order for you to have the assurance that when you breathe your last breath that you're going to spend eternity with him, yes, you need to accept Christ into your life, sure, but it's Jesus plus something else. In this case, it was Jesus plus Old Testament laws. You had to follow some Old Testament laws. You also had to follow maybe some, some Jewish practices were important. You had to do these Jewish practices as well as accept Christ as your Savior. There were other additional things that they needed to do, works that had to be added into the mix in order to find salvation, in order to be right with God. And in the process, these gospels demoted Jesus. They took him away from the actual words he spoke. And Paul says, don't let anyone do that. Don't let anyone add something to him. Stay faithful to Christ. Stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to the gospel. This can be a big-time challenge even in our day today that there's teachers and there's preachers, there's spiritual gurus that, that come out or getting traction even as we speak today that, that would lead us to something else, that would lead us to some other gospel and a subtle variation of some ideology that, that maybe people are like, yeah, I like that one better. And in fact, Paul warned Timothy 2,000 years ago that this would happen. 
It was happening back then. It's happening now. And it actually has a name. It's a syndrome. It's what I think we could call the itching ear syndrome. And he addresses this to Timothy when he says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Here Paul is talking about the challenge that that Timothy was going to face when people want to kind of craft a, a new gospel that aligns with their desires and my thoughts and my agenda. I'll create something that I like and it feels palatable to me and to my friends and to those around me. An alternate gospel that competes with the truth of who God is. And I think what we see is that that is happening even today. That there are gospels right now that people flock to that again, are gaining traction in our world. There's a politicized gospel that's getting traction, a a political gospel from the right and also from the left, where political ideology becomes the grid through which Scripture is interpreted and understood. This is like preachers. Some preachers get up and they, they preach their partisan politics, and it's like politicians to give proof texts misinterpretations of scripture so that they can gather people who don't really know the scripture well and they can maybe generate some support. But all of that falls woefully short of what God wants. We also see a materialistic gospel where, again, it's, it's prosperity. It's material prosperity that becomes the grid through which we interpret scripture. It's the health-wealth gospel and it takes it to, the, for, to a great, great extreme and And that's not what God intended either. We also see the alternative religion gospel where people will say, you know, yeah, Jesus made an impact and he was a great guy. Jesus was a great guy and he was really God conscious. I mean, if anybody was really thinking about God 24-7, I mean, it had to be Jesus. He's so God conscious and, you know, he's an amazing prophet. He gave such moral insight as well and and in the process, God says, actually, no, he's, he's way more than that. He's actually God incarnate, God in the flesh, Savior, resurrected Son of God. But other religions will come along and try to include him in their pantheon, include him in the pathway to, to God, a part of the process, and some just outright eliminate him altogether. And we have to be aware that there are many alternative religion gospels And then there's the personalized gospel that says, you know, I really think God is like this. And then fill in the blank. I think God is like this. And and so we fashion God um, in our own image. See, God created us in his image, but we have this tendency to, to fashion God in our image. And we say, God, you're like this because that's my preference. That's what I desire. That's what I want you to be. That's what a few friends thought you would be. Maybe take a couple passages from the Bible and try to create a theology that's out of line with all the rest of Scripture. The personalized gospel is very real today as well. So many gospels entice us. So many gospels were trying to pull people away in Paul's day as well. 
And that's why he says to Timothy, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be a big time itching ear syndrome going on. But as for you, Timothy, no, it's not going to happen to you. But as for you, stay faithful. Stay faithful to the message. Stay faithful to Christ. Stay faithful to what has been revealed to you as a young man. And keep preaching it. Keep teaching it. Keep communicating it because it is the pathway to joy and peace and to hope. And so ultimately, really, we're to be faithful, faithful to God and his gospel message. But there's another element to faithfulness here that is also huge, rooted in our relationships. We're to stay faithful in our relationship with one another. Faithful in our relationship with one another. Here is Paul is saying that the fruit of the Holy Spirit works in us so that we maintain our commitment and our relationships with one another. This is where we're to be loyal to one another, where we're to have each other's backs, where we're to actually look for the good in each other and not just the dirt or the brokenness or things we can exploit for our own gossip or enter entertainment. No, God's saying, no, have each other's back. Stay faithful to each other. And this quality is so important because it is under siege in our culture today. Faithfulness is not cool. It's not in vogue. It's not something people embrace, but it's exactly what God wants from us. Our culture tells us today that if somebody annoys you or bothers you or gets in your way or disagrees with you or has a different perspective, well, then you need to cancel them. And in fact, bailing out of the relationship is a must. You have to do that. Turning your backs on other people, you got to do that. Just do it. They deserve it. And this particular application here is to relationships between brothers and sisters. Paul's saying, don't turn your back on your brothers, your sisters, those who uh, are part of the church community, part of faith, part of the faith family. And this is what was happening. This is what can happen today where we take our cues from the world that says, I'm just going to withdraw from you, reject you, and turn away. And in fact, canceling others has replaced faithfulness to others. This is what happened to Paul. This is what happened when, when he began to realize that people in the Galatian church who once had his back, who once were strong advocates, who loved his teaching, who were vital uh, components and partners in God's work in the Galatian church, turned their back on him and actually tried to cancel him out. We read about how this all took place in Galatians chapter 4. It says, as you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus himself. Paul starts out here by describing his initial reception. He was ill, he was sick, but he kept moving forward to serve God, even though he didn't feel good all the time, and, and he had some things that were kind of uh, obstacles for him, but he kept moving forward regardless. And, 
And the church received him well. They loved his teaching. They, they respected him. They listened to what he said. They, they felt joy in being connected with him, and they warmly welcomed him into their lives, warmly welcomed him into their homes and into their church community. It was a good time. They treated him like they would treat Jesus. But then something went awry. Something went horribly wrong. In verse 15, it says, what has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous now instead for me and our work and the gospel. They want you to be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Here we have a situation where, where things are going well and they have a vital partnership together and then all of a sudden some voices started speaking Negative voices started sowing negative seeds about Paul both personally and also about his teaching. People came along who basically were zealous. It says zealous to win you over. They wanted to win you over to a new argument that questioned Paul and put him in a negative light. And they were very persistent as well in undermining Paul and sowing this negativity. And the irony here is that these people thought they were doing good by opposing Paul. They thought they were righteous. They thought they were on God's side. But in fact, they were far from God. Their compass was broken. They didn't even realize it. Paul says, these people are zealous to win you over, verse 17. But he says, but it's for no good. They think they're doing good, but their divisiveness exposes the truth. They do no good. And this is where Paul looks at the situation, people trying to alienate him from others. And he's sad because it's working. It's working. A man whose life was humble, who always got his theology right, a man who gave everything even when he didn't feel good, when his body was failing, he kept the course to invest in other people and love them. He went through hardships for Jesus, and now suddenly... It turned, he's the bad guy, and he was perplexed. He was super sad. He lamented the fact that some in the church had turned him away. And Paul's words are striking here. He says, what has happened to all the joy? Like, what happened? All the joy that we had in our relationship with one another all the joy we had in our partnership together, it evaporated unnecessarily because we listened to wayward voices. We allowed negativity to undermine our relationship with one another. I think it's interesting here that Paul talks about people who he once trusted and cared about turning their backs on him and withdrawing and rejecting him, turning others against him. If that happens to Paul... Well, then we can certainly expect 
that it could happen to us. If that happens to Paul, who gets so many things right, it's going to happen to any one of us that there'll be moments when people turn away from us, turn their backs on us, reject us, withdraw, where the joy we once had has faded unnecessarily for no good reason at all. But it's in those moments where Paul calls you and me as Christ followers to be different. That although others may be faithless, we don't control what others do, we control what we do. We're to be faithful. We're to remain faithful to brothers and sisters and not be tempted to cancel one another out. And his faithfulness plays out in a lot of different ways in a lot of different relationships. In our culture today, it has big time application to our marriages that our world tells us today that, you know, if something goes wrong in our, in our marriage or if I'm just not connecting like I'd like to, well, then I've fallen out of love and therefore I don't need to be faithful anymore. I'll just move on and find someone else I do love. And yet every marriage takes really hard work. There's not a marriage out there that's easy. There's moments when you're just like, this is tough. We're not connecting. We're not on the same page. Every single person on the planet who's been married has those moments. And we're told that when you have those moments to bail out on things, when in fact, if we would stay faithful, we'd keep working at it. We would be at peace with that person as far as we can. We'd make our own choices regardless of how they chose. That the best marriages get through that murky time, that tough time, those storms, and they get to a better place. Those who've been married a long time would look back and say it was worth it. It was hard. It was challenging, but it was worth it. Instead of bailing, instead of giving up, we can work hard to get to a better place, a richer love for one another. But the culture robs us of that possibility because it says faithfulness doesn't matter when it matters a great, great deal. I think faithfulness also applies to our relationships with brothers and sisters with one another. That we live in a world today where we think that, well, my brother or sister, they, they think differently than me. They, they voted differently than me. They process masks and vaccines differently from me. And as a result, well, that difference means we've got to separate. But what if the healthy thing in that moment is to actually agree to disagree? to resist this tendency to want to cancel each other or get angry or withdraw, not bailing out or hating someone or undermining people because we disagree about things, not coalescing a crowd against them, not trying to undermine their relationship with others. What if instead we stayed faithful to one another, that we work through our differences, that we'd have each other's back, that we would, again, Come to that moment and say, we don't see it the same way, but that's okay. My relationship with you is way more important than my agenda or my idea. Faithfulness is vital. It's something God desires for each of our lives. But faithfulness, it's under siege. But when we're faithful to God, when we're faithful to his gospel, when we're faithful to one another, when we make this our core commitment, great things begin to happen. 
When we come to this moment where we crucify our sinful nature and we stay in step with the Holy Spirit, faithfulness will lead us. And the compass of God's word will make us faithful people who will ultimately live out the life and embrace and have the relationships we've desired all along. Let's pray.